Hello and welcome to the Pacific Wayfinder. I'm Ben Bohane. We're only a few weeks away from the COP26 gathering in Glasgow, where global leaders will meet to agree on new targets to bring global warming and the warming of our seas under control. We're currently at 1.1 degrees above pre-industrial levels, and scientists tell us that we must stay under 1.5 degrees to avoid catastrophic climate change. On today's program, I'm honoured to have two guests who are both very invested in seeing a good outcome from COP26. Mr. Henry Puna is Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum and is the former Prime Minister of the Cook Islands. And also joining us is Her Excellency Vicky Treadle, Britain's High Commissioner to Australia, who also has a very strong interest in oceans policy. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I might start with uh, with you, High Commissioner. Can you tell us what Britain hopes to achieve by hosting the COP26? Well, our top priority is to deliver concrete results and commitments. We regard COP26 in Glasgow as the final moment when the world collectively can come together, agree more ambition, because that is what we need. The recent IPCC report made clear that if we do not raise our ambition, higher targets for emissions reductions within the next 10 years on the current trajectory, we will lose sight of remaining within 1.5 degrees. So this is a critical moment for the world. And we want as many world leaders to come to Glasgow to make that collective commitment, seriously higher ambition. And across four key pillars or goals that we have set ourselves on mitigation, adaptation, finance and collaboration. Uh, and of course, my prime minister has also come up with a snappy strapline, distilling some of that into four key areas of cars, coals, cash, and trees. And I'm happy over the podcast to unpack some of that because what we do need is to change the direction of the current trajectory, to stall the level of emissions, to push it back and to reduce it. And we need to come up with the money to help the more vulnerable countries, the developing nations that need our support to handle uh, the challenges ahead. As much as we want the developed world, the major economies to step up and take responsibility because we are the major emitters and the major reductions need to come from us. You mentioned the recent release of the IPCC report, which has certainly concentrated people's minds on the urgency. What for you, High Commissioner, was the, was the most important takeaway from the, that most recent IPCC report? I think the stark warning that it contained, that you know, complacency to date, when we're seeing emissions uh, actually increase, not reduce, uh, this is a moment to call time out and to change the direction of travel. And Secretary-General, uh, Mr Puna, what was your impression from that last IPCC report? Oh, one of uh, panic. But I want to start my intervention by thanking the UK host government, you know, for the uh, going out of their way in many ways to assist the, uh, the Pacific Island countries 
uh, be present at COP26. Uh, it is much appreciated. And uh, with these ordinary times, uh, I can guarantee that the Pacific will be fully represented at COP26. But unfortunately, there are still challenges that we have, uh, that we are facing, particularly because of the border closures uh, around the world and the suspension of flights, international flights. But at the moment, uh, we have uh, uh, seven, uh, at least seven delegations uh, representing member states who are confirmed uh, to, to travel to Glasgow. And the best news is that our uh, forum chair and prime minister of Fiji, the Honorable Baini Marama, will be present in Glasgow, uh, not just for the high level events, but for the whole duration of the conference. So answer your question, you know, we were absolutely terrified when we read the IPCC report, because as your excellency has made it clear, you know, instead of the, uh, the, uh, the figures coming down, hey, it's gone up. And, and the warning is they're very stark warning uh, to all of us, and particularly to the major emitters and developed countries of the world. Either we reverse direction and reduce our carbon emissions and, you know, and achieve 1.5 at COP26, or we face uh, horrendous uh, consequences with climate change. Just picking up on that, Secretary General, could you let us know then what, what does the PIF and the Pacific more broadly, what are they really hoping for out of the COP26 gathering? Well, in many ways, the High Commissioner has already uh, enumerated uh, you know, our priorities for COP26. Uh, first and foremost is uh, you know, getting the, uh, the whole world, and particularly the leaders of the industrialized countries, to commit to the 1.5 degree pathway. And that means, uh, you know, adopting the Paris uh, rule book, because that set out the pathway for us towards near zero uh, emissions by 2050. So really that is our ultimate aim. And our main objective is to get the whole world to agree to net zero emissions by 2050. And the only way we can do that is to adopt the Paris rule book and come to an agreement that this is the only pathway forward for humankind. And there are other priorities like the oceans. So that is very important for us. As you might have heard, uh, our forum leaders have adopted a declaration on maritime zones who are being affected by a sea level rise because of climate change. And that is a landmark declaration. But the important thing is that declaration is based on the UNCLOS, the treaty that was adopted by everybody. And, uh, and so we feel that it is solidly based and anchored and there, is, there should be no uh, legal or other difficulties with it. But that is very important for the Blue Pacific moving forward, the adoption of that declaration. Just to pick up on that, Secretary General, yes, I realise the, there's been a new statement around maritime boundaries. Could you explain for our audience what, what that means in effect? Is this, is this a way the Pacific Island nations are ensuring their sovereignty, their maritime boundaries, even as climate change affects 
you know, their landmass. Yes, indeed. It is a question of sovereignty, Bob. As you well know, you know, our islands are low-lying and some of them already disappeared beneath the seas, particularly out west. And so the danger we fear is that, you know, if our islands are submerged by the ocean, then there is a possibility we will lose our maritime zones. In fact, the only zones we now have is our maritime zones. The Pacific is about oceans. 96% of our territory is the oceans. And so it is central you know, to our aspirations and our developments moving forward. It is very important for us you know, to do something such as what we've done with the declaration in order to protect our zones, not just for now, but also into perpetuity. That is what the Declaration on the Maritime Zones you know, is uh, intended to achieve. Hi, Commissioner. You can hear the sense of urgency there. Um, how, how will the UK assist Pacific Island nations and this delegation from the PIF to ensure that Pacific voices will be heard at this summit? Well, of course, we, we have placed high priority on the small island developing states, not least those from the Pacific, that their voice must be one of the clearest and loudest uh, in Glasgow. So we're looking at the place of the delegation, the seven delegations that the Secretary General has referred to, and the access that we want to ensure that they have, both with the COP president, with our own government and ministers so that their views can be heard at the top table because they are, as the Secretary General has uh, made very clear, at the forefront of this global challenge. And the points he makes about maritime zones is one that we, we are very seized of. And certainly how the British government through the international um, legal uh, capability that we have in the UK around UNCLOS, how we can leverage our capacity and expertise to support them in redefining how we protect uh, what was their land that is you know, being lost so that their economic exclusion zones are recognized as they are at this point in time. So that any further loss, um, because of sea level rise uh, is mitigated against. That is really important. But on the broader oceans agenda, uh, there is work we're doing on several fronts because we recognize too that the oceans for the Pacific Islanders is not just a question of the natural habitat, uh, the ecosystem that we are trying to preserve, but also they are vital economic benefit to each and every Pacific Island nation. So how do we work with them on that front, whether it's through the Commonwealth Oceans Alliance or the Blue Planet Fund, where we're seeking to create a fund of 500 million pounds, or indeed for marine protected areas through the Global Oceans Alliance, where our ambition is to protect 30% of the oceans by 2030. Um, and, you know, we go into marine pollution, plastic pollution, um, 
agricultural runoff that is bleaching coral, for example. These are all areas at the forefront of these challenges. The oceans is a very complex agenda, uh, as I've just run through, from marine zones right through to plastic pollution. And for many of our Pacific Island friends, you know, tourism has been such an important part of their economy and their tourism depends on the pristine lagoons and oceans that they have. So that's an economic agenda too. It's not countering pollution for its own sake, but it is about making sure that the very oceans economy that many of the Pacific Islands and other small island developing states that we are preserving uh, their potential for the future. Uh, Commissioner, I know you're particularly interested in oceans policy and you're part of the Oceania network. Could you explain a little bit about um, what their objective is? Well, all the things that I've touched upon, and perhaps for your listeners, I'll unpack your reference to the Oceania network. Um, as the senior British government uh, official, I head our Oceania network. So apart from my hat as High Commissioner to Australia, I have responsibility for our strategic engagement across New Zealand and the six Pacific Islands where we have resident High Commissioners, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Tonga, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu and Samoa. And over the last two years, I've had the great privilege of seeing us return and reopening our High Commissions in Tonga and Vanuatu and opening for the first time in Samoa. Now, why are we doing that? Because we recognize that this is a region uh, that matters to us. We have long-standing historical ties. This region matters more now than ever before. We want to be engaged and supportive of the nations here in the Pacific. So that means we have to strengthen our presence to work with each and every government uh, where we have a resident high commissioner, but also for those countries that we're cross accredited to uh, from these missions that we now have strengthened and built up. So as a network, we move and work together strategically. The Secretary General referred to the support that we are aiming to provide to get the delegations from the Pacific, including those from civil society, NGOs that will participate in Glasgow. So we leverage the strength of our relationship with Australia and New Zealand to find the means to deliver the delegations, to manage the quarantine challenges, the transit routes that are necessary. And every one of my colleagues across the six Pacific Island nations where we have a presence are having the conversations with their host government. How can we work with them? How can we leverage the multilateral um, programs for which Britain is usually the single largest donor, top three donor, whether it's the ADB, the World Bank or UN programs, you will find a majority of that funding actually comes from Britain. I think in 2019, that totaled 76.6 million pounds. So we want to look at how we better influence those programs across things like mitigation, adaptation, finance and collaboration. And Secretary General, going into the COP26, in terms of the strategy, if you like, that, that the PIF is, 
pursuing. Are there any particular priorities for you? Do you are you looking for real outcomes in in oceans? Are we looking at climate financing? Um, what what are the the particular strategies and the priorities that you have going into the COP twenty six? Well, as I uh, thank you, Ben, for that question. As I alluded to earlier. Uh, we have appointed uh, five political climate champions. The, these are champions at the highest level. They are either leaders or senior ministers from our member states. And they will be talking on five specific areas uh, to do with climate change at COP26. They'll be talking about climate finance, how it needs to be uh, rejected in order to you know, to take into account the needs and the challenges facing uh, small island countries in the Pacific, because access to finance is very, very difficult. The way it's structured, it's very difficult for small island countries with small capitals, uh, you know, in their administration to access those funds. Then there'll be a champion talking about the oceans. There'll be a, a champion talking about adaptation, about loss and damage. And then uh, we will have a champion talking about nature-based solutions, you know, to climate change. And for us, this covers the whole spectrum of the priorities we want to take to COP26. We will be featuring them at high-level events on the 4th of November to do with our oceans. And again, on the 6th of November, uh, when there will be a uh, Pacific high-level event hosted by the Secretary and the Forum Chair. Apart from the side meetings uh, where they will be uh, invited to, and we've already submitted a request to the UK government, you know, to invite them to as many of the side events as they can possibly fit into their schedule. And so through that, uh, we hope to, you know, to promote the profile and the priorities of uh, the Pacific Island Forum countries at COP26. Yes, you covered some very important points that I missed out. The finance, you know, the promise of 100 billion uh, finance for climate change, uh, that hasn't been met yet. And that's one of the priorities we hope will come out of the uh, COP26. And he, the High Commissioner has already touched on those priorities. Thank you. You know, through these means, uh, Ben, we hope to amplify and promote our priorities at COP26. Can I just have a brief word again on the oceans? You know, it's so good to hear that the High Commissioner is very much involved with the oceans uh, in the region. The oceans is uh, more than a resource uh, to us in the Pacific. I would liken it to the passion or the connection that people around the world feel to their land. And here in the Pacific, we have a special passion and a connection with our ocean. In fact, for me personally, I think of the ocean as our mother, you know, that nurtures us from the cradle to the grave. It provides for us. So we have this very special and close connection with our ocean. And because of that, we want to make sure that as stewards of the Pacific Ocean, that we will continue to look after and nurture it and keep it in as best and pristine a condition as we can, not just for now, but also into the future for our future generations, but not just for us, 
because we're aware that we have the last remaining stock of healthy tuna in the world. And so we have an obligation to look after that, not just for us here in the Pacific, but for the whole of mankind. So from that perspective, Ben, the ocean is very, very important for us. We have a very special and close connection with it. Yes, agreed. If I can just go back to the climate financing, because there's quite a lot in that space that's being discussed. Um, and I'm aware of, of the frustration of Pacific Island leaders over many years in their, you know, their frustration in accessing that climate financing. There's a number of different elements to that which have materialized. And one of one of the points of discussion is around insurance. So rather than a focus on sort of litigation or liability, we should be working towards a system of, of being able to, to provide low-cost insurance to small and medium-sized businesses, not just the big businesses across the region, but, but for small businesses. How do you feel, Secretary-General, about, you know, when it comes to climate financing, is there a role to play in, in developing affordable insurance for, for businesses across the Pacific? That, Ben, we feel that, uh, you know, the uh, climate change finance, uh, the whole architecture of the finance needs to be reviewed and redone. Because in the Paris Agreement, you know, the small island developing states, for example, was mentioned as, you know, priority, uh, requiring priority attention for uh, finance. But, you know, uh, just last year, the report from OECD was that um, about 2% of global climate finance, you know, flowed to the small island developing states. This is totally wrong. You know, it's totally at odds with the spirit of the Paris Agreement, and it does nothing for the damage that small island developing states, uh, you know, to help them overcome and build resilience uh, to, uh, to climate change. Furthermore, uh, we want to promote uh, adaptation. And I'm pleased to hear from the High Commissioner that that is one of the five pillars that the whole UK host government intends to achieve at COP26. We would support that uh, very much because we see adaptation as one of the keys to building resilience uh, here in the Pacific. Our own studies have shown that for every dollar invested in building resilience and preparation, it actually saves $7, you know, in post-disaster recovery. And so it makes sense that investment uh, into uh, building the re uh, adaptation and resilience must be one of the outcomes that we should uh, aim for at COP26. And our information uh, on that is that currently just 20% of global climate finance is targeting adaptation and resilience building. So obviously a lot more work needs to be done to improve on this. Yes. Hi, Commissioner, there's been a, a, a number of ideas floated around the finance issue when it comes to climate change. I mentioned insurance, but there's also, you know, talk about setting up a Pacific resilience fund, um, 
establishing even there's even been talk about blue bonds for for the ocean what, what are your thoughts around the way the climate financing architecture can be better developed to, to ensure that the pacific gets its fair share of, uh, of the financial impacts of around climate change well the first thing that we need to do is understand how it looks from the pacific and other small island developing states because there's no point sitting in the developing world and coming up with the new architecture any new architecture must first be informed by how it looks and feels now and actually to address the issue of accessibility and i participated about three weeks ago in a webinar with some of the young Pacific leaders who have gone to Milan for the pre-COP. And this was a theme that they all felt really strongly about, including insurance, uh, particularly you know, for small businesses, uh, for example, in the tourism and leisure industry along the coastlines of Pacific Island countries. So the way we are approaching this, first and foremost, we are co-chairing the task force on access to finance with Fiji. This will look at how we deliver a step change, the very step change that we're talking about in access to finance for climate action. Ultimately, that work will deliver a new programmatic approach um, to support our partners uh, on their climate action plans. In fact, only tomorrow uh, we'll be co-chairing a roundtable with Fiji and Belize on this very topic. These are the steps we're taking so that by the time we arrive in Glasgow, we have all the views, we've had a chance to digest and analyze it so that we can come up with genuinely new propositions. And in that too, often we think about climate finance as a donor issue. You know, the 100 billion that we're trying to raise now, um, and we got a, you know, when our Prime Minister Boris Johnson was at Unger, this was one of the drums that he was banging. And, you know, he made a point of it in his speech at Unger. And he got a commitment from President Biden to double the US contribution to this fund. But apart from what, what the developed world uh, can do, we also need to look at the private sector. So I know that the Lord Mayor of the City of London is looking at this issue because the finance that can come from financial centres so that you draw down what is available. Um, insurance has to be something that the private sector providers of insurance, you know, Lloyds of London, often the last insurer of resort globally. But there must be propositions and new products on the retail front where actually, um, for example, if you're borrowing, um, then the rate of interest needs to be different. Um, and it's appealing to the sort of the ethical side. And if we look at the private sector and what business and industry themselves are doing to commit to net zero by 2050, to come up with yet more ambitious targets for 2030, 2035, how they re-gear their businesses towards that ambition, then those in the financial and related professional services sector, those in the insurance industry must surely be looking at this 
themselves because they have a moral and ethical obligation to be part of the solution. So for us, it's not just the donor front, but it is also the private sector front, and we need to work that hard. You mentioned the private sector, and um, one point I'd like to get you both talking about is, you know, for many years there's been talk about carbon offsetting. So again, using that sort of commercial element, it seems to have faded a little bit, but do you think there needs to be a bit more a more invigorated sort of opportunity for Pacific Island countries to actually make money in a commercial sense through through a better carbon offset sort of global system where, where companies are paying for their pollution? There is that. I mean, this is my own personal view. We will always need offset facilities as we transition. But the ultimate solution can't be to push your carbon debt onto others. It must be to address it yourselves. So it may be an appropriate interim step, but ultimately we have to decarbonize our economies. That is the real solution. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of that goal. It's tempting to think we'll just offset our problem, but actually we shouldn't have that problem in the first instance. And in a way, I mentioned, you know, cars, cash, coal, and trees. The trees part of it is really about rewilding our world, uh, restoring our rainforests, um, you know, tackling things like illegal logging. All of that agenda hasn't gone away. Uh, we have to restore our green lungs, but also coming back to the oceans, they are our blue lungs. So the health of the ocean is vital in this equation as well. Um, and we need to look at sustainable practices, nature-based solutions, you know, restoring the mangroves that have been decimated, for example. All of that is vital. Uh, there is no single silver bullet. We need a combination of solutions and genuine collective global effort on all fronts. Secretary General, do you have any thoughts around the carbon offset market? But but also I wanted to get you talking about the ideas since we're talking about solutions now. What is the role of, of developing and the innovation around green tech? Do you have a, I hear you have a particular interest in the way certain uh, green tech might be developed to assist the Pacific? Yes, uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, thank you for, uh, for those comments, uh, High Commissioner. I was listening with extreme interest to see, uh, you know, what options there might be for our private sector here in the Pacific. But also, of course, recognizing that, uh, you know, we don't uh, have too much of uh, emissions uh, from our businesses here in the Pacific. But nevertheless, there may be some important lessons for us to learn uh, from the developed countries such as the UK and Australia. But uh, yeah, coming back to your question, Ben, um, there is uh, there are opportunities uh, for the Pacific, you know, to look at greening uh, our, our our economies, our technologies. But uh, at the moment, uh, you know, let me just speak uh, briefly on what I've done with the Cook Islands, uh, because, you know, when we came in uh, to government, we had a policy platform to green our country. And in fact, our catchword was clean and green. And that meant, you know, introducing uh, uh, renewable energy into the country 
and we've completed all our outer islands uh, in the Cook Islands. They're all on renewable energy now, except Aitutaki. But uh, that's only because of a technological uh, challenge, you know, the storage of uh, solar energy during the day. But, but it's a wonderful initiative to have. I was particularly uh, impressed with the comments from the Deputy Prime Minister of Fiji this morning when we introduced our political climate champions. He is our champion on the oceans and climate finance. But he made the comment, and I fully subscribe to it, that you know we're asking developed countries you know to cut their emissions and you know to uh, come up with uh, alternative sources of energy and his challenge was to the region itself he said look you know if we are to to have a stronger moral voice in calling uh, for others to do what we're asking them to do then we must ourselves you know, uh, do what we're asking others to do. And I thought that's a very compelling, uh, you know, statement to make. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I did what I did in the Cook Islands, you know, renewable energy for 80% of our country. And at the same time, also declared our whole EZ of 2 million, almost 2 million square kilometers as a marine protected area. So, uh, you know, these are initiatives that we can, uh, we can take ourselves. And I think, uh, you know, it adds to the moral uh, force of our call for others to do what we're asking them to do. So definitely, uh, you know, our region is looking at ways where we can contribute to what we're asking of others to do. I'll start to wrap this up. Um... But I wanted to ask you, Secretary General, you know, since you're fairly new in the job, just in a, in a more broad sense, um, what, what are your priorities as, as Secretary General of the Pacific Island Forum? Obviously, climate change is going to be high on that list, but I, I wondered whether, you know, is there three or four really main priority areas for you as Secretary General to, to bring the Pacific along with your vision? Thank you for that question. In many ways, Ben, uh, you know, the priorities were already set uh, before I arrived into the job. And of course, you know, climate change is the front and center of uh, the priorities uh, facing the Secretariat and our region. At the same time, uh, you know, COVID-19 and the uh, destruction it has wrought on our economies and on our health systems uh, also is a pressing priority. But it's wonderful to see that uh, quite a few of our member states, you know, have not been uh, infected by the virus, like uh, Samoa, the Cook Islands, Vanuatu, Tuvalu, and uh, Kiribati. So, you know, it makes the recovery that much easier and quicker. But yeah, all our priorities really for me, are based on the ocean. You know, climate change is connected to the ocean. Our fisheries is to do with the ocean. The pollution that is rife in the world, you know, plastics, which the High Commissioner mentioned earlier, is to do with the ocean. The nuclear contamination uh, is a priority for us. And the proposal, proposal by Japan 
to discharge the Alps treated water from Fukushima into the ocean. That is a priority for us. And uh, at the same time, the priority of the nuclear contamination in the Marshall Islands is a priority for me in my term as Secretary General, because all the work that we're doing to preserve our ocean, to manage our ocean, to keep it healthy for future generations will be to naught. For naught, if we can't deal with the uh, leakage that is being reported from the dome in the Marshall Islands. So those are absolute priorities uh, for me in my term as Secretary General. Thanks, Secretary General. Hi, Commissioner, a final question to you. Again, um, you've highlighted that the, the United Kingdom has developed a renewed interest in engaging in the Pacific. Um, why, why is that? And, and what can we look forward to seeing in terms of the UK's expanding role in the Pacific? Well, first and foremost, across the Pacific, there are nine Commonwealth nations. And if you include Australia and New Zealand, that's 11. And five of those countries are fellow realms where Her Majesty the Queen is the head of state. So we have deep connections. And I think really it is about refreshing and re-energizing them because of the agenda of this century. So, you know, going back to what I said earlier, with climate change as a top foreign policy priority for us, that is reason enough to be back here. But I think the deep historical ties, how we rebuild our relationships across the Pacific Island nations, how we work with them on the big issues of the day, many of the ones that the Secretary General has just summarized that will define his time as Secretary General are areas where we believe we have an offer and where we would like to work uh, with these uh, island nations and working with Australia and New Zealand on things like infrastructure. How do we deliver the step change on mitigation, adaptation, on finance that we have spoken about? And all of that requires collaboration. So there are our four themes for COP26. And these relationships matter individually in their own right. And we you know, we want to lean in and make the most of it. And that's why we've put high commissioners back into Nukalofa, Port Vila and Apia, and why we have strengthened our team in Suva, in Fiji, and the work that we are doing as a network to give Oceania a brand and profile back in the UK. Thanks. We're all going to be watching very closely the outcomes from uh, the COP26 coming up you know, in less than a month now. So, look, I wanted to thank you both very much. Was there anything you wanted to add before we, we wrap up this podcast? Secretary General, any other points you wanted to make before we sign off? Yeah, just one final point, Ben. Um, you know, I've been talking about the Pacific and the impacts of climate change on the Pacific. But I just wanted to say to the rest of the world, the Pacific does not have a monopoly on climate change impacts. You know, recent events have shown that climate change is catching up with the rest of the world. Uh, you know, we all must come together in order to address this uh, problem of climate change. Nature is sending out a call. 
And I think we can't ignore that. If we do, it'll be to our collective peril. But I look forward to being at COP26 and to achieving the high ambitions, uh, High Commissioner, that we all want to see COP26 achieve. Thank you very much. Yes, let's hope we can build some global solidarity on this existential threat, not just for the Pacific, but for the whole world. I'd like to thank you both very much for joining the Pacific Wayfinder podcast. That's the High Commissioner, the British High Commissioner, Vicky Treadle, and Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum, Henry Puna. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us this morning. That wraps up another episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. You can find us on our website, pacificsecurity.net, and our Facebook page for the Australia Pacific Security College. Our theme music is the song Tabaran by Not Drowning Waving. And thanks to Liam Taylor for producing this episode. I'm Ben Bohane. Tune in next time to the Pacific Wayfinder.